0: Talk Radio
1: Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler and my guest today is Scott Scott Gerzambach from the Albany Public Library and I'm going to call him right now. Um I'm I'm getting him on the line right now.
0: Scott gotcha, Jorzombach.
1: Hi, Scott. We're on the air. It's Cynthia.
0: Hi, Cynthia. How are you?
1: Good. Yesterday guest today is Scott Jorzombach. And what's your title at the library?
0: I am the executive director at the Albany Public Library.
1: So, we're going to talk about uh, the library and now that some of the restrictions have been lifted from COVID. So, what's going on at the library?
0: Well, right now the library looks fairly back to normal. Uh, There's really only two distinct changes. We're we're now following the CDC's metrics. So the CDC will say whether or not uh, a county like Albany has a high level of transmission, a moderate level of transmission, a low level of transmission. And right now, CDC has Albany County at high level, the highest, you know, the the red ranking. And because of that, right now, there's really two things that we're not doing, or three things that we're not doing in the library. Uh, We're not allowing people to sit and study, Uh, We're not allowing groups to use our meeting rooms and we're not allowing for um, programs inside. So those three restrictions, but the buildings are open. Uh, You can come in, you can make an appointment to use a computer. I know that's really the thing that's important at some of our branches for people. You can come in, you can do your navigator passes, you can come in, you can ask reference questions. All of those services, all of our core services are still being provided. Um, It's just really those three restrictions that we have in place following the CDC guidance. And of course, we never got rid of our mask mandate. So uh, even when the CDC was saying you don't have to wear a mask, we still required individuals to wear masks just because we serve so many people under the age of 12 and because we serve so many people that we know are older and immunocompromised.
1: So even if somebody's been vaccinated, they still have to wear a mask?
0: Absolutely. And that we were doing over the summer because the CDC guidance first leaves it on the entity itself to make the decision. And the board and administration really looked at who we serve. We looked at our vaccinate we, we looked at vaccinations by zip codes, so vaccination in the city of Albany itself. Um, We looked at the amount of kids that we serve, the amount of parents that we serve, and then the amount of people who are older who might be immunocompromised. And we realized that it would be much safer to follow the CDC guidance, which said, if you're congregating in a space with people who you don't know what their vaccination is, that it's better to wear a mask. And Cynthia, I'll be honest, the feedback that we got was overwhelmingly positive. I keep hearing from people, oh, you know, people are going to be angry about needing to wear a mask. That's not the feedback that we've received so far from regular patrons, people who we know that we know use our library, come in every day, parents, especially from parents who have children, just overwhelming positive response about us keeping masks.
1: You talk about children, children under the age of 12 are not mandated to get vaccines because I don't know if the drug companies think it's safe or not. Are you worried that that the vaccine, children not getting the vaccine under the age of 12 do you think that's going to impact school districts? And do you think that the COVID rate will spike because of it?
0: Um, you know, I I I don't, you know, I uh, my undergraduates in secondary ed, but I'm not. You know, I don't have a master's in uh, school administration. I I do worry about that. I have two children under the age of, you know, I I have an 11-year-old and I have a 9-year-old, so they can't be vaccinated. Um, I do think if mitigation isn't, you know, the, the science that we look at to run a public library. So there hasn't been a tremendous amount of guidance at a federal or state level about how you run a library in a pandemic. So for us, being information, you know, we are we we all have our degrees in information science. Uh, we all are experts in research. So what we've done is we've constantly been been looking at the research and publications around how to operate a school, and we've been following those guidelines um, with with mitigation efforts. And again, my children are in the school district, and I think the Albany school district is following this. You know, if kids are wearing masks, masks if they're kept in bubbles, um, if they're, you know, spaced apart correctly, L.A. County, Los Angeles County is an example of if you do everything right, if you follow all of the mitigation efforts, you can successfully have school. You may have times in which school may need to be closed down for a week, but you can get a little bit closer to the normalcy, just like the public library, you know, just like our public library is doing in the city. It's not ideal what we're doing, but we know we follow... The the advice of scientists, if we follow the advice of experts, if we use all the mitigation tools that are put in front of us, so that's vaccination, that's wearing masks, that's social distancing, that's not congregating inside, if we do all those things, are are things going to be normal? No, but it's going to get us much closer To normal than we've been before in the past, and we saw that with the library. You know, this summer we've had fantastic programs where people were together. The majority of those programs were outside, but you know, it was great. It was great to be able to, for me to be able to visit a library while a program was going on and seeing kids experience story time or a sense of normalcy. It was wonderful this summer, you know, and it's wonderful right now for me to be able to walk in a library and people are coming in and they're in, the, you know, they're in the stacks and they're borrowing books, they're not doing curbside. They're experiencing their public library. Is it perfect? No. Is it back to normal? No, but it's the smart thing to do. It's what the science is telling us to do, and it is bringing us back some sense of normalcy. Mm-hmm. So I, do I think there'll be disruptions with schools? Absolutely. I, you know, that's what the science is saying, especially in districts that aren't really following the mitigation efforts that they should be following. But again, my kids are having a much, normal, much more normal school year than they did last year. They're in the building again. And that makes me happy as a parent, and it makes me happy as an educator.
1: Now, when you say use the phrase back to normal. Uh, within the library what does back to normal mean to you?
0: Back to normal will be where, you know, the library administration isn't worried about staff being positive, about closing down branches because of exposure in branches. It's being able to have programs inside again. It's being able to have public meetings back inside again. It's being able to allow something like we had this summer where people were allowed to come back in the library to study again, where we felt comfortable with having a number of people in the space. And, and so, you know, we're close to that. I mean, if we didn't have this Spike this summer, um, you know. If Delta didn't show up, I think if people, if the CDC said, "Hey, let's keep the masks on for a while," I think, I think we would have had that normal. Is it perfect? No, but it's it's getting back. I, I don't know if we ever. I'm not sure we get back to a normal for a long time. However, okay. I think. I think that we will at some point get back to normal. And I think we only do that if we're smart about it, if people get vaccinated, if people stop spreading misinformation, if people just, you know, I got to go to a christening this weekend. I got to see my two beautiful nieces. I got to go in a church and be a part of a christening. All it took was the windows in the church being open and the people in the church wearing a mask. And we took our masks off when we went outside. But it was wonderful to have that, you know, that important part of our our culture and our experience back for my family. And it was as simple as us wearing a mask while we were inside. It was as simple as, you know, my sister and brother-in-law saying, hey, everybody, if you're coming, you know, be vaccinated. It was that simple. Is it perfect? No. Were we 100% safe? No. But we felt safe enough that we could participate in something culturally that's important. And it's just people following the science, not listening to misinformation, and, and balancing the risks. So
1: ultimately, um, from the time COVID hit, the United States was March of 2020. How much of an impact, in your perspective, has COVID had on all of the branches of libraries in Albany?
0: Well, I mean, Cynthia, it's brought us back to that more traditional library model. Um, it's funny because when, when – when I, I also teach at SUNY Albany under the, you know, the CEHC, so the Homeland Security Emergency Awareness, Um And the university was incredible about getting information out. And it got us planning ahead of time. And you know, I my undergraduate's also in history, so I was like, "Well, let's see what they did during the 1918 pandemic." And they did exactly what we're doing now, which is limiting the amount of time people could spend in a branch, making sure all the windows were open and being more transactional. So what the pandemic has done for us is, is, is it's moved us back to a more transactional model. In some ways that's wonderful. Uh, in some ways, it really shows the resilience of the staff and the community and the fact that they really want library service. But another way is it's impacted us because some of that more community-building work that we do, having people in our buildings for meetings, having people in our buildings uh, for programming, it's kind of taken that away. And it's been frustrating because those things are so important to the community. But because of uh, community behavior, because of misinformation, uh, because of lack of guidance, it's been really difficult to, um, to provide those services. So I, I believe that we, we, we shut down, and, you know, we shut down and we only went virtual. And that meant only providing public Wi-Fi. That meant, you know, providing our services virtually, which the staff were fantastic with. Um, but it really, you know, it really left some people on the other side of that digital divide. It left people without resources that they really need, needed. And it really made us think how we're going to deliver those resources in the future, which we will do. So in some ways it was terrible because we lost the essence of what we do. In other ways it was wonderful to see how the staff and the board and, the, and my, my administration had adopted and changed and pivoted and went out of their way to learn new th- things to serve the public, which will continue in the future. But it was also frustrating because we didn't really have guidance. And also, I think in a lot of ways, if other entities were kind of doing what we were doing, uh, we may be in a better position as a community in the pandemic.
1: I know a lot of people in the community rely on the library for um checking the internet, checking their email, and doing stuff online that they have to do because they don't have they don't have internet in their homes or a computer, so when the library was shut down, these people were virtually left out in the cold, right. Yes, wow. and, you know,
0: and, and and literally, because it, it was one thing that we did that my staff pivoted really quickly. There were two things that we did that I thought were really impressive. One was we bought more hotspots. So this is Internet people can borrow from the library and take home. So we, you know, we, we knew that these were going to be really popular and really necessary in the community. So we increased the amount of people who could literally borrow the Internet from the library. And this was a wonderful program that has been shared with us that you know, this was a lifeline for several individuals in the community who we served. The other thing that we did was our IT team and our administrative staff worked on expanding our Wi-Fi into our parking lot. So you could sit outside in the warmer weather and get on the get on a robust internet connection, but you could also pull up with a car in the winter or a heavy jacket in the winter and still get on our Wi-Fi outside our buildings. And simultaneously, we actually we partnered with the Albany Housing Authority so that uh, individuals in the, uh, who are on the property of the Albany Housing Authority could also get Wi-Fi from the library as well. So we use this as an, as an opportunity to say, you know, what is our role providing the Internet to the public and how can we expand this while our buildings are closed? But we also, when we reviewed, hey, when we start to be open, what are primary services that no matter what we have to, we have to provide? And that's why when we reopened, and no matter how bad community transmission is, in the community we're still going to be providing library computer sessions because we know the importance of that. It looks a little so, different. It's, it's not, it's not dropping anymore. People have to make appointments. But it is, we've got it down, so it's fairly easy to do now.
1: So if somebody has a laptop and they want to connect to the internet, they could go to the library parking lot. Absolutely. And, uh, and from their car, they could access the internet from their car.
0: Yes, I do it. I do it all the time because I travel from branch to branch for meetings and do stuff. And sometimes... I'll work from my car for a little bit to get something done. So the, the IT team worked really hard. I believe our foundation helped underwrite some of the costs and we expanded our Wi-Fi into our parking lots. And again, Cynthia, this, this, isn't, this isn't perfect, but the library has never been a perfect solution for the digital divide. I think we do an incredible job. I believe that libraries across the country have really taken on the role but I believe there needs to be uh, – um, I, I believe government needs to work on a bigger, uh, a more robust solution to the digital divide in this issue.
1: You know, so you and I continue... – had... I'm sorry. You and I had no, talked really... a couple of days ago when I um, called you to do a show with, with me. I focus on Albany. And – Because I read that you are going to be part of the uh, Municipal Internet Commission in in Albany, and I know it really hasn't gotten off the ground, and and you and I are going to do shows about it. But what are your hopes for uh, this commission?
0: Well, Well, the commission meets for the first time this week. Um, it's already done some work. It's looked at the previous research that was done a few years ago for an advisory committee I was on. Um, you know, I, I, I have lofty goals. You know, I, I, I would love to see us uh, either talk about, um, you know, talk about some kind of municipal Internet, uh, maybe, one that can, maybe one that replaces or one that competes with uh, the, the current single you know, entity in the city that can that provides Internet. So either something that, that competes or, you know, even is the replacement. I would like to see Albany really uh, push for uh, Internet not just in the city but across the state to be treated just like gas and electric, uh, just like water, where, you know, it's recognized as, you know, it's, it's something that needs to be provided to every household. So I have lofty goals. Um, and I'm sure there are other individuals on the commission who have the same goals as I. And I'm sure there are other people on the commission that are, you know, what will will try to say, Hey, let's not go so big, uh, but let's plan to go big in the future. So I have hopes, I have aspirations, but I also know that, you know, the city, the, the city has fiscal and, you know, political concerns around this topic. So, I'm going to fight as a member of the commission and I'm going to be an advocate for municipal broadband or some, you know, some way that the Internet is treated as something that is a requirement for, you know, that needs to be provided to every household. How we do that, I'm sure there are smarter people on the commission and in city government who are going to come up with better ideas than I can come up with. But, you know, that, that's as one member of the commission, that's something that I'm going to advocate for strongly and we'll see where we go from there.
1: So, during COVID, um, did you restrict the number of people in the library?
0: Yes, and that's going on right now. Since the CDC has marked Albany County as, a, as high, and most of the country is, high level of transmission. So that means per every 100,000 people in the county, there are 100 active COVID cases. Um, right now we do have a headcount. We've actually made that headcount a little higher. Um, but we don't often hit it, but we are, you know, we do have a grader in the front of the building. And if we have too many people in the building at once, we just let people know. It's rare that it happens, uh, but there may be times where you show up at the library and we just say, right now there's too many people in the building, but you know what, in a few minutes, a few, you know, those people will be leaving and we'll be able to allow you in the library. And that's looking at the science. Of the fact that this is this is a virus that's trans it's an airborne transmission virus. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a virus that can linger in buildings that aren't well ventilated. So um, we're, we are right now looking we, – we have received some money from the state. We're going for more money from the state. Uh, we are looking at our HVAC systems and making sure that we have filtering systems, and we're making sure that the science says um, that you have to increase – the amount of fresh air that comes into a building and circulates through a building. So every once in a while, you'll see our doors open. Every once in a while, you'll see the doors in our bathroom. The the bathrooms will be closed with the doors open to allow them to be ventilated as well. But, you know, we're we're looking at the science. And we're, we've been doing that from the beginning, and we're going to continue to do that. And this will make our buildings a little more expensive to operate. Uh, we have to be a little bit more hands-on. We have to have our facilities crew uh, trained in doing the cor- correct procedures and following the safety protocol. And, you know, this will limit the amount of people that we can allow in our building. And we're also looking at if we can find grants and we can find funding. We're looking at expanding our outdoor spaces. So, you know, one positive to climate change is it's September right now. It's the end of yeah. September and it's still, still warm out. So we will be doing more and more programs outside, and more and more services outside. So
1: a, a building that, that's not well-ventilated, um, people can pick up the virus maybe a day or two later from somebody that was in the building. Is that correct?
0: It's, well, I, I, that is what the, the science is saying. That's a possibility. If your building is not well ventilated, so you know we got a lot of questions about why were we closing bathrooms, and it's simple: we can't ventilate our bathrooms sufficiently. Uh, we had questions about our the main branch. We had you know questions about the Washington Avenue branch, and it was because when we looked at that building, it was older, it had lower ceilings, and had an older ventilation system, which we're trying to correct. So when when we a year ago, over a year ago, when 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 the pandemic began. Uh, we were looking at a lot of science that was coming out saying that it, that, that it was, you know, aerosol transmission. And there was early conversations about HVAC, and I'm lucky, I have a very talented uh, uh, facility staff. And we sat down and we said, you know, the science is really pointing in this direction. So the buildings that we opened first were the buildings that we walked through and said, okay, we have really high ceilings in this building. We have really great HVAC systems in this building. We can ventilate the system, and also there's enough space in the building that we believe that, you know, this aerosol transmission is going to be lower. So a lot of people questioned why we were opening the branches that we opened, and it simply came down to the Pine Hills branch, the Arbor Hill branch, the Howe branch, all have extremely high ceilings, a lot of air, and we could pump a lot of fresh air into those buildings. And, you know, that was, that was guesswork in the beginning, and now the science is kind of saying we made the right call at that time.
1: So, you know, recently, well, maybe not that recently, but Delta is a new mutation. From your perspective and what you see is Delta Bad as we once thought it was.
0: Uh, you know, again, for the I'm not a virologist. I only go from the information, the scientific information. We look at peer reviewed articles. That's that's always our goal at APL because as information, you know, as information science professionals, we we know the research process. We know what is good information and bad information right now from what i've been reading is it's it's just it's the delta variant has a high replication so viruses are much like bacteria or poison the more of it that's out there the higher the likelihood you're going to run into it so you know from what we're you know from what i am seeing when we're discussing hey do we do story times or not it's 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 the science that's out there is saying yes it, it it's more infectious but the probability is the reason why it's more infectious is because there's more out there. And that's why the mitigation efforts are so important. Again, we've always had the tools to fight this and now those tools don't work as well, but are more important than ever, because there's, if someone is sick and they're coughing and they're breathing in a space and they're not wearing a mask, They're putting much more virus out into the community than if they were wearing a mask. I always remind people, masks protect people, but don't protect people as well as we'd like to think. What masks really do is when someone is sick, it stops them from spilling out these aerosols. The church I was at yesterday, it was, please wear a mask when you sing, because it's not about necessarily protecting yourself. You know, wearing a mask protects your community. Some people are walking around with, you know, with an infection and don't know it. They have an infection, but it's not strong enough for them to even feel sick. But they're still projecting out virus. And if they wear a mask, if they want to protect their community, if, you know, they want to be warriors, um, you know, I always, there's a lot of bravado around this. I'm not going to wear a mask because I'm not scared. No, you're not, you're wearing a mask because you're a strong enough person that you want to, you want to protect everybody in the community you want to protect those people who are older who will get really get sick you want to protect children who doesn't want to protect children if you wear a mask you're projecting you're protecting children who may get sick with this and severely ill with this and if you wear a mask you're protecting your community if you get vaccinated you project you're protecting your community so when there's a lot of bravado around not being fearful it's not about being fearful It's about being strong enough, being, you know, someone who's willing to fight this pandemic, wearing a mask, Mm -hmm. putting on armor, and saying, I want to protect the people around me. And there's, you know, there's nothing stronger than that.
1: So uh, we just have very little time left, Um, Scott. The hours are the same as before COVID,
0: Yes, we made a little bit of an adjustment. We're now doing, instead of doing Sundays at the Washington Avenue branch, we're doing Sundays at the Arbor Hill and Bach branch. So Bach always had Sunday hours, but we moved our Sunday hours from Washington Avenue over to Arbor Hill. And that simply comes down to what we saw in the numbers, how many people used this on Sundays, and what we could staff. Because like every other institution, COVID hasn't severely impacted our finances, but it has impacted our finances. So we have a little bit less money for staffing and we have a lot of people who have retired. So the other thing is, if you're listening to this, we are doing hiring on a regular basis because a lot of people in the wake of the pandemic said, you know what, maybe it's time for me to retire. So we had a lot of retirements over the last few months and we have been doing a lot of of hiring, but we have you know our staff we don't have as much staff as we did before and that definitely was part of the reason why we switched our sunday hours from Washington Avenue from the main branch over to our Harbor Hill branch and that's been going really really well
1: great and, and one quick question has clientele gone down
0: oh yeah i mean we're you know we're like everywhere else um but it's because there's there's been two impacts. One, not having meetings and not having indoor programming means there's less people coming in the building. There are a lot of people who just use us for those services. But those numbers are increasing day after day after day. The other impact is not having county and state government downtown has Mm -hmm. drastically reduced. Uh, You know, our other branches are seeing healthy door numbers and healthy circulation numbers. Uh, The Bach branch is almost back to normal. Um, but our Washington Avenue branch, so our downtown main branch, the numbers are never going to get to where they were until state and county employees are back in their offices. And that's going to be a while. So, you know, and that's something that we knew was coming. And that's why we focused on our other, our other five branches, six branches, because we knew the pandemic was going to have more of an impact here because of the state and county workers not being here, than it would at our branches that are used more by our community members who live close
1: so to their if location. Anybody, if anybody wants to know more about the library, you guys have a website. Can you give us the um, the address of the website?
0: absolutely it's albanypubliclibrary.org albanypubliclibrary.org and if you're on social media we have fantastic social media really informative and engaged social media so if you look for albany new york library on instagram or twitter you will find us there that's sometimes the best way to get information from us and like i said it's very it's enter we try to be just like our mission We try to inform, we try to empower, but we also try to entertain, and we definitely do it through those channels. And then one last thing I want to plug is the fact that our North Albany branch, our smallest branch, is currently under renovation. Uh, That's located in the former YMCA building that's now going to be part of the school. The school district is a fantastic partner. We're going to have a really great It'll be our. It'll still be our smallest branch, but we're going to have a really great branch there. And our, ho- our hope is for a soft opening sometime in January, and then an op- you know, a full opening, uh, sometime late January, early February, depending on construction. And I'm really looking forward to that branch being back open and that community getting library services.
1: Thank you, Scott. So you've been listening to Scott Jarzombek. Um This is. Focus on Albany, I'm Cynthia Pooler. If you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Scott. I look forward to talking with you about the uh municipal internet Commission. Thank you, everybody for listening. Have a great day
0: Cynthia.